We are continuing in our study of the gospel according to John. This morning, before that, I just want to say this to you. Some of you wonder sometimes why I preach in the manner that I do. You know, I, maybe you grew up in a church and you've been in, never been in a church where pastors actually preach through books where they just sat in their office on Monday morning and tried to figure out what the Lord would have them preach about the next Sunday. I, I decided early on not to have to worry about that, that I was going to let the Bible itself determine for me what was coming next. And let me just tell you something. This particular passage that we're going to study this morning, if I, had, if, if I could avoid this, believe me, I would do it. I don't want to talk about this this morning. I really would rather talk about lots of other things. But it is the message, not that I brought us today, but the message that God has brought us today. Let me just read this passage for you. This is the tail end of chapter 15. Beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know who, uh, he, him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will, hear, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Doesn't sound much like a Christmas message, does it? I have known some people in my lifetime that were just hard and mean and nasty and cruel. It was as if they wanted people to hate them. It's one thing to be hated for good reason, but it's quite another thing to be hated for no good reason at all. That's Jesus. See, the religious leaders of the day hated Jesus, and that's just kind of a, I don't want you to, that's not all inclusive, but it's rather a blanket statement because the majority of them obviously were in this particular camp. 
They hated him for at least two reasons. Number one, he challenged their authority. And number two, he was good and they weren't. You understand that the persecution and the hatred that was poured out upon Jesus is just a measure of the condition of the human heart apart from him. What other proof do we have to have that people are fundamentally sinners? It's crazy because, because I don't imagine there are too many people who really love to be hated, but sometimes people seem to do everything they can to make other people hate them. We understand this, that leadership, uh, a leadership role is, is always a calling that comes from God, and it's, always, and it's never for the benefit of the leader. It's always for the benefit of the people that they lead. But I ask you this, this morning, if you know anything of human history, if you know anything of world history, do you see that reflected much at all in the history of the world as far as the leadership goes? The leaders of the world in the ancient Near East were like so many that have, have lived in the world even since then who used fear as a weapon to rule people, to keep them in their place. Therefore, the people tended to hate those who ruled over them. And such a relationship as this is not, certainly not, foreign to today's world either. I mean, you see it reflected sometimes in even things as like, like employer-employee relationships. I mean, how many employees actually love and care about the person that, that manages them because that person treats them very well with human kindness and such things as that. We understand that many of the leaders, and even, even in, in the lowliest places, it's almost as if they want the people that, they, that work for them to fear them and for that fear to motivate them to do whatever they tell them to do. So is hatred a big part of the human picture? reality it is if you just look at the history of the world because there's a sense in which the history of the world is the history of war very often we use wars as as, as dates in history to kind of bring things into perspective is hatred a part of the human picture we know that it is and it all started back at the garden of eden we have no doubt about it just think about Joseph's brothers consigning him to a life of slavery. There's an argument to be made that the history of man is the history of war. Perhaps the greatest level of hatred toward Jesus came from Jewish leaders 
and for all of the wrong reasons. Because they were jealous of him, because they were suspicious of him. He was taking their limelight and they did not like it. Think about this. Those religious leaders should have been the very first to embrace Christ. Because these were the ones that were most knowledgeable in the scriptures. And there were a few who did. We've already studied a little bit about Nicodemus. Who very early on came to know Christ. We know about others as well. It seems as though they were in the vast minority. The reality is those religious leaders should have been the very first to embrace him and to love him. And they react in it exactly the opposite manner. After all, he did criticize them and he did challenge their authority and that sort of thing, which people don't tend to, to take very kindly. But I think a lot of it with them was jealousy because the common people loved Jesus in a way that they did not love their other leaders. Jesus was good and they were not. In fact, Jesus was everything that they were not and they hated him for it. They were lovers of power and of privilege, and of self. Because the world hated Jesus, the world also will hate us. If you, in fact, are a disciple of Jesus, if you're an active disciple of Jesus, you will experience, at least on occasion, the hatred of the world because you are of him. Not because you're a dirty, rotten, nasty person otherwise, but just simply because you're a Christian. And I want to remind us this morning that Christ was at work in all of this. God was at work in all of this. And I want to remind us this morning that, that, that even when things like this take place, God is in the middle of it. And he is at work in the middle of it. He uses things like this very often to make a distinction between those who truly are his and those who only claim to be his when in fact they really are not. I'm sure that most of you at some time in your life have, have experienced someone just pouring out utter and absolute hatred toward you and sometimes for reasons that you don't even have a clue about. 
I have a lot of fond memories of Uganda, brothers and sisters that I love dearly, that love me dearly, that love you dearly, love this church dearly because of all the, the good that we have shared with them over the, gener the, the, the years and that sort of thing. But I have some not-so-good memories that stand out about Uganda. And one of those is this, and it only took place in just, a, just within a few seconds. And Lori was with me, and I, I'm not sure she remembers this or not, but we were, we were on our exit. We, were, we had left Bundabalinga, and we're going back to Fort Portal, and on our way back to Kampala to fly, fly home. And we're driving down the road, and we're with one of the World Harvest missionaries, and there's an emblem on the side of the vehicle about World Harvest and this, that, and the other. And we're driving along, and there's this old man walking down the side of the road. And he looked upon us with the greatest look of disdain you have ever seen in your whole lifetime. And he spit at us. Now, why did he do that? He might have done that just because we were white people. And let's face it, white people oppressed the African people for a very long time. That's a reality. So you could understand why sometimes people of different colors don't necessarily care for some of us. But I didn't get that sense of it. I almost felt like Satan was standing there himself and he was spinning fire at us. I mean, it was bone chilling to me. I don't know if it was for Lori, but it really was. I just felt this oppressing sense of this abject hatred for us. I mean, have you ever felt that? That kind of hatred. But Jesus makes it very clear that if you're a Christian, the world will, will hate you. It's not, not a question, will it hate you, or maybe it'll hate you, but in fact that it will at times hate you. And let me just say this, the more faithful you are to him, the greater that hatred will be and the more frequently it will come. Just think about this, for a time, Jesus' own brothers ridiculed him. And have you ever in your lifetime experienced a sense of hatred just simply because you're associated with Christ? Have you stopped to wonder that maybe if that's true, maybe it's because I've never done anything worthy of it? No one likes to suffer. 
except crazy people. <laughs> we all understand that, right? But this text reminds us of something this morning that we don't think very often about, and that is, as Christians, we are called to suffer. It's part of our calling. fact of the matter is no one is indifferent to Jesus. They either love him or they hate him. There's no in-between. It's not like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's, this is one of those things. It's black and white. Either you're one side or you're on the other side. There's no in-between. There is no ground. There's no common ground between the two. What Jesus is doing here, remember, these are very private and very important conversations that Jesus is having with his immediate disciples right before his trial and tribulation begins. He is warning these guys. Because as long as he's been in the world, he has suffered the persecution of these people in power and authority. Not so much them, but him. But he's about to leave. And the, when the world can no longer get a hold of him, it will focus and target guess who? them he is preparing them for the reality that will soon be upon them one that they can't even conceive of at this point but once he is gone they themselves will become the favorite targets of these religious leaders. And the world will hate them just as much as it hated him. Have you ever heard the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought too much, very much about it? Do you believe it's true? I do. We have this idea very often that wherever the message of the gospel goes, it's just jewelry, you know, people rejoicing and this, that, and the other and coming to Jesus and whatever. And the reality is this, is very often missionaries find a very hard world out there that they go into. You, you, William Carey was in India for like seven years before he, preaching the gospel regularly and teaching people and this, that, and the other. It took him seven years before he had one single convert. Did he give up and go home? No, he persevered. Now just remember this, whenever you undergo persecution, and I'm sure some of you have at least to some degree, but when you do, just remember what it is, is the world is pouring its anger and hatred out on you because it can't get to Jesus. The only avenue it has to get at him is to get at you. 
I listened to a sermon the other day preached by Derek Thomas on this particular thing, and he, he threw some things up I didn't even think too much about. He, he said, so think about it. Would you even think that you would even be worthy of being persecuted? I mean, are you one of those people that's very strong in your faith and very open with your faith and this, that, and the other? Would you be a candidate for being persecuted even if there was great persecution that took place? He also made this statement. He said, typically, we walk with one foot in the world and the other one in the church. That's the typical believer today. That there are certain aspects in which we are extremely, very much worldly. Not so godly. Now, obviously, what Jesus is telling the disciples is confusing to them at this point. But Jesus does not leave them as orphans. He's about to leave. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell them. So I want to remind us this morning that those times when we maybe we feel very, very lonely as Christians, always remember you're never alone because the Holy Spirit indwells you, that you in fact are a temple of the living God. Jesus here calls him the paraclete or the helper. Other places, the spirit of truth. That, that third person of the Trinity that we talked about a few weeks ago who proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. It's very helpful for us to always remember that, that as Christians, God in dwells us he's no longer distant he's no longer out there only he's also in here and that holy spirit will enable you to do things that you would never think for one minute that you would ever be capable of doing on your own And I think this is one of the areas we need to work in. We need to begin to realize and learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit, to lean upon the Holy Spirit. Because none of us does that very well. Paul says this, Do you not know that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Well, you think about this. You think this is a true statement. The more faithful we become, the more likely we will suffer persecution for our faith. I think it's pretty true. Things going the way they are, let me tell you something. It is not a far stretch to believe that we will have such an opportunity in our lifetime.
the culture that is evolving around us and it seems to be growing ever greater every day is a lot of things, but one of them is this, is as anti-Christian as you can get. Because of the exclusive claims of Jesus. The statement that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me would just cause outrage amongst many people in our land today. Who do those Christians believe that they are because they claim they have exclusive rights to God? Well, it's not us claiming anything. It's Jesus claiming those things. And we're only trying to be faithful to what he's called us to be. Throughout the history of the United States, it's been rather fashionable to be a Christian. If you get a conversation with anybody about what is it that's made the United States stand apart from everyone else as far as freedoms and etc., this is one of the things that, that I want to gripe the most about, and that is this is people are, are calling the United States so wicked and evil, but at the same time, the United States is the place in which people have experienced freedom like no people in this world ever have in the whole history of the world. And all because... It is founded upon Christian belief and principle. That is what has made the United States great. That is what has made the United States better. That is what has made the United States the nation that so many other nations wanted to be like. But things seem to be shifting So much so that I don't think it's too much of a stretch to believe that there is an intense persecution just over the horizon. I hope I am wrong. I hope I am dead wrong. It's times like these that those things happen. Throughout the history of the United States, it's been rather fashionable to be a Christian or to call yourself a Christian. That just isn't true anymore. Well, like Derek Thomas was getting at, the, the, the reality is this, is the life that we live really is not that much distinct and different from the life of a lot of the average people out there. Reality is we've all become very worldly. We blend in very well with our surroundings. It's like we have camouflage on or something. Let me just say this, that it's very important that when we're given the opportunity to speak forth for Christ, that we actually do. But that's not everything. 
it's equally important that when we do, we do it in the appropriate manner. And that is never, ever, ever with a judgmental and condescending attitude. Ever. It's out of humility. Out of an appreciation of knowing that I've been saved by grace through faith and God did it, not me. Look what the Lord did with the Apostle Paul. Before, he, before his conversion, it could, it could be argued that Paul persecuted the church in an intensity like no one else ever has. He was like the persecutor above persecutors. But at the same time, in the same breath, you could say, even though that is true, that once he was converted, there probably has not been a single person on the face of this planet that's had more influence on the church than the Apostle Paul for the last 2,000 years. Jesus suffered. Did Paul suffer? You betcha. So why are we here this morning? Well, we're here for a lot of reasons, and I hope primarily the one you're saying is I came here to worship God this morning. That's the main reason I'm here. It's also to encourage one another. I don't know about you, but I need to be encouraged. Not just every now and then, not just weekly, but all the time. And let me tell you, you guys are one of the biggest encouragements that I ever experience in life. I need you. We need each other. Because when we talk about these things, it's important for us always to remember this, that I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. God brings us together for all kinds of reasons to, to worship him corporately, but at the same time, one of the principal reasons is that we have each other to lean on, to help us, for us to help. Reality is this, is we are aliens living in a foreign land. This is not our home anymore. Our home is where Christ is. And Jesus, his spirit's here, but physically he's not here now, right? It's so often so easy to get bogged down by the trappings and the worries and the hurts and the harms of this world. I can't tell you when you're going to die. 
I can't even tell if you're going to die because if Jesus comes back before your time comes and you're, you're never going to experience physical death ever. But he is coming. And it could be today. It could be a million years from now. But his expectations in the meantime for all of his children is that they be faithful to him. And when we truly are faithful to him, there will be times when we will suffer the hatred and the anger of the world. It's helped us to remember some things. And one of those is this, is that he bought us. We, he owns us. We are his. We think we have control. We think our opinion matters. We very often let our feelings drive us. But you are not your own. I am not my own. We are his to do with as he pleases, whenever he pleases. Even if we're uncomfortable as all get out with it. Have you ever heard the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? If you haven't, then shame on me. Because there is a lot of truth in that. You see it in Jesus. You see it in the apostles. You see it in the church for the last 2,000 years. The people of God have suffered the hatred of the world. Sometimes in unimaginable and unbelievable ways for you and me to see. I don't know the name of that person or those persons. But unless today is a very different day than every day for the last 2,000 years, we will have brothers and sisters in Christ give their life today before the sun goes down for their faith in Jesus. I didn't pray before because we're going to pray right now. So join me if you will. Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we come this morning and we just confess our utter and absolute need of you, as much of you as we can possibly have of you. Not just at the moment, but with every passing minute. We pray that you would be strong within each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful servants to you, regardless of what that means for us.
We know, Lord, that the circumstances we find ourselves in today may be quite a bit different than they were even very recently. But, Father, we pray that you would remind us continually that this is a very great gift from you, that we live a life of freedom like no other people ever have. And one of those great freedoms is the freedom to be here this morning to worship and praise you without any hindrance from anybody else. Father, we're afraid that if things continue the way that they are, that perhaps our children, our grandchildren, or their children after them will no longer have that privilege. That perhaps they will be meeting secretly in underground churches here in this good old U.S. of A., one of these days. But Father, we know that even if such a thing as that were to happen, that it would not mean that you've deserted us because we know you never will do that. Remind us continually that you are always with us, not just in the good times, but in the bad times, and even in the very, 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 very bad times. Remind us, Lord, that we are yours. And that means we don't have freedom to do just anything and everything that we want to do whenever we want to do it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have us do. How you would have us stand for the truth of Christ in this fallen world around us. Show us, Lord, what you would have us do and enable us, Lord, to actually do it. And Father, we understand that we have many, many, perhaps even millions of brothers and sisters living in this world right now as we are, who in fact are suffering persecution, real suffering persecution, for their faith. We know, Lord, as we're speaking this morning, that some of them are imprisoned, and they've been in prison for a long time just simply because they will not deny their Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them have been tortured. Some of them have been nearly starved to death. Their families have suffered a great deal. Perhaps they still are. And Lord, we know that more than likely that some of them will be called to pay the ultimate price this very day for you to give their very life for you and for your truth. It is those people, Lord, that we have most upon our mind at this moment. We pray for them, Lord, that your spirit would be strong, that you would speak to their mind and to their heart, 
that they would know in the deep recesses of their being that you love them unbelievably. That you would give them the strength, Lord, to stand firm, that they would not have apart from you. And then in their death, Lord, that they would honor you and glorify you. In the name of Christ would be exalted as a result of that. Be with them, Lord. Let them not feel abandoned. Let them not feel alone. Let them not feel uncared about. We commend them to you, Lord. We can do no more. We can do no less. In Christ we pray.